Our gospel reading this morning is from the 10th chapter of St. Matthew. Now, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's preparing them to send them off into, um, into the world to proclaim the good news of God, to heal, to teach, to preach. And he says this, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. And, and nothing that has been spoken in secret up till this point will, it will, it will, it will now become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you have heard whispered, now proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who would kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. For are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do not be afraid. We've heard that so often, right? Do not be afraid. Our first kid was actually a dog. Did you know that, Matt? Um, you know how that goes. Those of you who are in early marriage or have been there, you get married and you start to test the waters of having kids. A dog sort of fits that bill. Um, fun, playful, a decent amount of responsibility. Well, Slick was that dog. Official name was Slick Willie, a beautiful liver-colored Boykin Spaniel who hadn't worked out for his first owner, and so he was dropped off at our house in the fall of 1992. Slick was uh, a great dog, so friendly and really, really easy to love, until the summer of 1993. We were gone a few days during the first week of July, so a high school student, as I recall, um, stay, a, a kid, maybe a college student, it doesn't matter, he stayed at our house to take care of Slick first week of July, so you know what that means, right? July 4th, cookouts, parades, hot dogs, baseball, apple pie, all the rest, and fireworks. Well, we had no reason to think that Slick would be afraid of fireworks, but oh my goodness. When we returned, there were holes dug all around the fence, claw marks at the side of our eight-foot wooden privacy fence, and no dog escaped. The kid had no idea where he was, but Slick had become a maniac the night before, uncontrollable. There were loud noises most of the night. He thought some fireworks maybe had exploded in our backyard. The kid apologized profusely. I mean, he, he, he didn't know what he could have done, and sure enough, it wasn't his fault by any means. Slick was terrified, panicked. He, he was afraid, and when fear overtakes us, we react right? And sure enough, we learned a lot about Slick's reaction to fear. To His strength was well known, a 40-pound scaling of an eight-foot wooden fence with ease. Well, Slick was found uh, later that day, several miles away from home, curled up in the corner of a parking deck of Richland Memorial Hospital in Columbia. Boy, was he glad to see us. Fear. Fear can overwhelm us, can't it? It can lead us uh, to places of terrific anxiety and fear. It can cause us to do things that we never imagined that we'd do, to react in ways we never thought we would react. Unless fear is controlled, it can lead us into some very, very dark places. 
Any surprise the Bible tells us over a hundred times, do not fear. Any surprise, Jesus sending out His disciples. What I just read from the 10th chapter of Matthew, Jesus sending out His disciples for the very first time, saying, first and foremost, don't be afraid. In other words, don't let fear control you. Psychologists tell us that from the moment we're born, we learn to fear the world around us. Now, there's been a long debate as to whether we're born with fear or whether it's learned behavior, but most psychologists agree these days that it's a combination of both. No doubt, fear has a very important role to play in our lives. I mean, it helps us to avoid uh, or prepare for danger. It keeps us away from hot stoves or, or falling from high places. But fear can also strangle us, and if left unharnessed, it can lead to bitter anger or terrific sadness. So, let me ask of you, what are you afraid of? Uh, Do you control your fear, or does fear control you? I can't believe how many Psychology Today articles I've read in the last few days, uh, just to try to figure out this whole notion of fear. But here's what experts are saying are our most common fears. So, as I read them, you, you say which ones you can identify with. The fear of scary things, of scary movies or loud noises. Phobias, of course, fear of heights, large places, closed in spaces, spiders, snakes, whatever. For some, the fear of rejection or criticism or being judged. For some, the fear of the future, the unknown, of change. The fear of someone getting an upper hand in life is a significant fear for some. Uh, The fear of being embarrassed, a fear that's often rooted in pride. The fear of loving or of losing love. The fear of getting hurt emotionally or physically. These days, the fear of sickness and disease, and now of re-entering public places. For teenagers, interestingly enough, their most common fear is of not being accepted. For athletes, the fear of failure. For corporate executives, fear of inadequacy. Interesting. That others will find out that they're not as smart as they're perceived (laughs) to be. Some are able to overcome their fears. I'm envious of those folks. But some manipulate the fears of others, tapping in to their fears for a self-serving purpose oftentimes. Politicians are well known to do just that. The politics of fear, we call it these days. But the same is true of preachers, I must admit, some of whom have found great success scaring people into heaven. (laughs) But listen to today's gospel. When you go, Jesus says to these disciples, again, preparing them to, 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 for, their, for their next journey, preparing them to jump out of the nest for the first time, to preach, to proclaim the gospel. When you go, don't be afraid. Don't let your fear control you. Because, well, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, said Roosevelt uh, so many years later, no doubt drawing from the message of Jesus to his disciples, which begs the question, why so much concern with fear? Why so much mention of it in Scripture? After all, Jesus was talking in, in that particular instance, Jesus was talking mainly to Manly men, hard-working, blue-collar fishermen who aren't supposed to be afraid of anything. <laughs> but Jesus knew better, right? 
In fact, he knew that if not controlled, fear would lead to failure in their discipleship. He knew that by sending them out on their own way, they were leaving the security of their home and their families, the stability of life as they knew it, and, and that they would be tempted to bow before the altar of fear, the power of fear. We all are, whether we like to admit it or not. So Jesus was just being realistic starkly realistic about the threats that they would face of people. If you read the wider portion of this is called the the little commission in Matthew's gospel. It's a fascinating portion of the 10th chapter of Matthew. If you read it all, you'll see that Jesus lists those things that they should be prepared for of of people who would would not welcome them into their homes, of those who would reject them, those who would criticize them, those who would dishonor them, and even those who would kill them. What Jesus is doing is what psychologists tell us to do in facing our fears, to name them, to name our fears. It's the first step in being freed from the tenacious grip of fear in our lives so that fear doesn't master you or hold you back from pursuing your greater purpose in life. It's a question, therefore, that I'd love to ask you today. What are your fears. Truly, be honest. It's the same question I'd love to be able to ask our community these days as we face challenges outside the very front doors of our own church. Before decisions are made or mob actions unfurled, we should ask, what truly are we afraid of? That's the first step, to name our fears. But Jesus doesn't end there. Again, in this portion of Matthew 10, the little commission, he says this, and it's rather odd. Don't take anything with you. When you go, don't take anything. No gold, no silver. Don't take extra sandals for your, sheet, for your feet. Don't take an extra shirt. Uh, in other words, the disciples are told to undertake their mission in complete dependence on God. What does that mean for you and for me, we who love to depend on everything but God, especially our own selves? Well, when the Lord tells His church to go and to speak out on behalf of justice and mercy, love, peace, equity, to care for the least, the last, the lost, God fully knows that we will face criticism, that we will face as church rejection and ridicule by some, but we are also told to trust that God's mission is always far more important than any other mission made by man or by political party. The bottom line is this. The church has no other mission but God's mission. That's it. So trust it. And finally, let fear be used for productive ends so that it might move you to action, action that proclaims the goodness of God. This past week in our men's Bible study, Tommy Carlton, shout out to Tommy and to everyone who goes to that Bible study, he said this, there's always a tension between love and fear. The key is how we control our fear for productive means. Good stuff. Which is precisely what Jesus was saying. Control your fear by remembering, by relying on, proclaiming the goodness of God in all that you do. 
In other words, always act from a place of love, not of fear. Why? Well, because the alternative is fear that leads to anger, fear that leads to bitterness, fear that leads to hatred. We face a lot of that these days, especially in politics, in, in all kinds of community activity and actions. Though historically Americans are known to be optimistic people, we're facing a collective crisis of anger these days. But this is very interesting. In psychology, anger is a secondary emotion, which means there is always almost always something underneath it, something that anger is trying to camouflage, a a, a primary emotion that almost always is fear. So when you or when we as a community are wrapped in anger, dare to do the hard work of, of asking, what is my anger camouflaging? What is behind my anger deep within me, deep within us? And in doing so, trust that God's deep desire is that we overcome our fear, not to ignore it, never to ignore it, but to overcome it. How? By trusting in the God who made us to be free from fear. That's our created order. Eunice Simonson has been a good friend of Krista's and mine for 25 years. She and her husband are longtime missionaries, were longtime missionaries in, among the Maasai in, in Tanzania until Dave died several years ago. If any of you have ever read Greg Mortensen's, Greg Mortensen's Three Cups of Tea, you might know that he gives a lot of credit as a missionary to Uni and her husband Dave. They are truly remarkable people. Well, anyway, a few years ago, Uni told me the harrowing story of an early incident among a group of Maasai women. Uni is trained as a nurse. And, uh, and she was eager to use her medical background for God's purposes in Tanzania. That was her mission while she was there throughout. Her husband, Dave, was a pastor, a Lutheran pastor. But Uni was always concerned about a, a Maasai, old ancient Maasai practice of circumcising girls at the onset of puberty. In the West, it's called genital mutilation. But among the Maasai, it's a rite of passage, despite its lifelong side effects. Uni often visited villages to talk with women about the hazards of of female circumcision. She was not always well-received, especially early on, but the longer she stayed with them and walked alongside them, she was at least respected and known to be a woman of genuine faith and concern. One weekend, however, she was invited to attend one village's ritual that celebrated this, this rite of passage. She hesitated, but she thought of it as a chance to learn and maybe, hopefully, to educate. In the middle of the afternoon, drums were beating, warriors and mamas were dancing, the young girls were gathered in a single group ready to begin the ritual. The idea is to build up the crowd into a frenzy and and about that time, Uni herself was caught up in the middle of a group of dancing women who, who slowly but very deliberately pushed her towards a tent. They surrounded her with, with songs and chants and ceremonial yells. And before she knew it, she was in the middle of this tent with an unknown number of women all around her pressing in upon her. And then she knew what was happening. The, the women had danced Uni into the circumciser's tent. 
so dark that she could hardly see what was in front of her. She knew all about this place, an elderly woman, sharpened knives. She did not want to be there at all. She asked to leave, but the women kept singing and kept dancing, pushing in on her. She could hardly move. She wanted to scream. She felt hands touching her hand, her her back, her legs, her chest. Here she was, this great missionary who dared to challenge these women about their time-honored ritual. Now they wanted to formally welcome her into the tribe. Uni could hardly breathe, but she prayed. She prayed that God would rescue her, and suddenly she heard a voice, follow me. It, It was a man's voice speaking perfectly formed English. She couldn't see who it was, only the voice, follow me. And she did somehow. And to this day, she does not know how. Somehow she slipped out of the grips of these women and found her way out of the tent, and she ran as fast as she possibly could, looking around for the voice of the man who saved her. But she never found him. She had been the only non-Messiah woman in the village that day. No one else. Do not be afraid. Jesus told his disciples and us, trust in me. May God's word today be a message of hope and encouragement for you, for our community, and for this world. Amen.